Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning as we worship our God together. On the back of your bulletins are the announcements. Uh, We will be having lunch together, and then following lunch, we'll be coming back up here for an afternoon service. I would just make mention, we usually try to start about 1.45, but we're going to try to start about 1.30 this afternoon. There are some legitimate providential hindrances uh, that people have later this afternoon, so I was asked if we could move it up a little bit. So if you're going to leave and come back, we'll probably seek to start about 1.30 this afternoon. And then you can see it's the holiday season, and with... um, with uh, Thanksgiving on Thursday, I know some of you will be in the kitchen on Wednesday or traveling on Wednesday, and so there will be no prayer meeting this week, uh, so just keep that in mind. Uh, I would mention also, it's not in your bulletin, but there is a financial report of the church on the back table, so um, you can pick one of those up and just see how things are going. If this will probably be the last financial report before the final budget and the new budget will be presented to you for the following year, that it would just give you an idea. God's, God's been very good to us, and we're thankful for your giving, and um, we just want to make sure you are aware of things financially here within the church, so keep that in mind. All right. I believe that's all the announcements that I have this morning. As we give ourselves, I, I, would, I would mention again that this afternoon it will be a hymn sing and a time of giving public thanksgiving to God. So I trust you've thought about that this week and this afternoon that you'll be ready to, number one, pick out your own hymns, a favorite hymn you want to sing, and then number two, to publicly give thanks to God for what He is doing in your lives throughout this past year. So that will be the afternoon service. We will not live stream that service. Some people may be intimidated to think that as you give thanks to God publicly, there are millions of people watching you. Not that I think there are a million people (laughs) live streaming this service. Uh, But you may want to say some things that are more family-oriented to just the family. and, And so therefore, I'm just making the decision. We will not live stream um, this afternoon service. So if you are watching by live stream and you want to be here, let me suggest you come. All right. Well, now as we give ourselves to the worship of our God, John tells us in 1 John 3 and verse 1, he says this, Behold, what does that mean? Give attention to this. I've got big news. Be- behold what matter of love the Father bestows upon us that we should be called the children of God. He's calling us to give attention to His love for His people, bringing them in to His family. And so that's the God we're worshiping this morning. Take a moment to prepare your hearts to worship that God.
Now inside your bulletin is the responsive reading coming from Psalm 100, the 100th Psalm. It is a psalm in which we are told how we're to come before the Lord, shout joyfully to the Lord. What does that mean? Are we all, you know, I've been in places where people say that means we all just stand up and start shouting. He's saying as we approach God, there ought to be some enthusiasm to our approach of Almighty God. That we're to enter his courts with thanksgiving and with praise. We ought to be a thankful people. If ever there was a people that should be thankful, it should be the people of God. And so let us stand together and call one another to worship with this responsive reading. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Give thanks to him, and bless his name. Now let's take our Trinity hymn books, the Trinity hymn books, turning to hymn number 535, 535, how good it is to thank the Lord and praise to thee, most high accord, 535.
pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we are truly thankful, this being the week of Thanksgiving, and, and our thoughts and hearts turn to you and your goodness to us. Father, you are a great and mighty God, worthy to be praised by all things that have breath. And Father, we just bless your name this morning. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your truth, your righteousness. We praise you, Father, for your faithfulness to us. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you bestow upon your children. And what joy is there in being a child of the living God? So, Father, we pray that you would draw near now and that you would bless our worship service this morning. We pray that our thoughts would be single-minded on your goodness and your beauty, your majesty. Lord, bless us this day, and we pray, Father, that you indeed are glorified and lifted up and magnified this day. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. And now in your hymns of grace, the bigger hymn book, the hymns of grace, 308, we'll sing about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. 308, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. 308.
is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Um, today we're going to be looking at a chapter here in Mark 16, and uh, it has a it has an Easter theme. And here we got all this snow, and uh, and all these uh, winter conditions have come upon us suddenly. But there's good news. He is risen indeed. Mark 16 is the chapter we are in this morning, and we're going to be seeing the resurrection as John Mark, as he flies through this chapter, as he does the preceding chapters. And uh, beginning at verse 1 in chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed, for you are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee, There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in different form to two of them while they were walking along their way to the country and went away and reported to the others, but they did not believe them either. And afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And when they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed.
As we read through that portion of Scripture, one of the most encouraging verses is the verse when the angel says to the two Marys, Go tell the disciples and Peter. What's amazing about that? Peter has denied the Lord three times. Peter's wept, having a sense of his own sin. And yet here we hear the compassion of Christ. Go tell the disciples and Peter. God showing him grace and forgiveness. And want to enter into that relationship with him as well. Well, we do serve and we're here to worship a living Savior. And how thankful we are for that. This morning as we go to prayer, we especially want to remember our brother, Pastor Dave Merrick. He's one of the elders at Grace Emanuel Reformed Baptist Church there in Grand Rapids. But this past week we read one of his letters in which he's heading back overseas, especially to Zambia where he will be instructing and teaching seminary students for a few weeks. So we want to pray for him, that God would watch over him. I believe in his letter he, he spoke about the fact that he's not a young man anymore. Yeah, I think he's 70 years old, and so he's praying that he can get over there and do what he needs to do with the needed strength that he must have in order to fulfill his task. So let us pray for him this morning. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for the reminder this morning as your word has been read to us that our Savior has conquered death. He has defeated the last great enemy. And he has risen from the dead. And we give you thanks for that reality. And we give you thanks for that truth. For in that we have hope that we as well one day will be resurrected. Father, we pray that you would help us to be a grateful people. May we be thankful for such love that you would have towards us, that you would send your Son, that he would die the cruel death on the cross. But Father, we're thankful that he paid the payment. He paid for our sin. And you accepted that and demonstrated your acceptance of that payment in his resurrection. So we have much to rejoice in this morning. And Father, we're reminded also from the reading of your word of our commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures. And with that commission, Father, we would pray that you would raise up laborers for the harvest. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And how we pray that we might see in our day you raising up men who will faithfully proclaim the gospel and faithfully care for your sheep. Father, we pray then as well that you would be with Pastor Merrick. We thank you for his many years of faithfully laboring as a pastor there in Grand Rapids. And Father, for the opportunities you've given him over the years to not only shepherd the people of God there, but then to have a wider ministry around the world. We think of his time in China. And now we think of his time in Zambia. And pray that, Father, you will give him the needed strength that he might instruct the men who are a part of the seminary, 
that it might be a benefit to them and that they might through that be found as faithful shepherds in days to come. Father, we would ask that even as him, as Pastor Merrick and Nedra visit their children who are overseas, that, that you might bless that reunion. No doubt it would be a difficult thing to have your children so far away from home. And yet, Father, we pray that during these days that they're together, that it would be sweet and refreshing for each one of them. Father, we pray that you would draw near to us as we gather to open your word. May you come by the work of your spirit and take your word and use it in our hearts and lives to do us good. May each one of us examine our own lives in light of your word. And may we rise up and give you thanks for your dealings with us and our dealings with you as we come to the living word of God. And so, Father, may we be found as those who love your word. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. Father, we pray that we might be diligent in studying that word to show ourselves workmen that needeth not to be ashamed. Father, we pray that we might be doers of that word, being obedient. These are my children, those who hear the word of God and do it. So, Father, bless, we pray to that end as we ask these things in your blessed Son's name. Amen. Now, before we come to open the Word of God together, take your hymns of grace and turn with me to 176. 176, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. 176 in the hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing.
may be seated. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22. For those who might be visiting with us, we are engaged in a study of this message by Moses to the children of Israel before they were to enter into the promised land. And this morning we find ourselves in the 22nd chapter of Deuteronomy. The Apostle John writes on two occasions these three words. God is love. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God is love. And Paul says that as believers... Through the work of the Spirit, there is this sense, this, this overwhelming sense of the incomprehensible love that God has for His people. When Paul speaks about God's love, Paul is not thinking of our love for God, but the believer is flooded through the work of the Spirit with a knowledge of God's love for Him. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on the book of Romans, when writing about Romans 5.5, gives this illustration. It's about a man by the name of Peter Miller. Peter Miller was a faithful minister of the gospel during the Revolutionary War. He lived very near a man who hated him. He hated his Christian life. He hated his ministry. And he hated all those who would listen to and follow after Peter Miller. One day, this unbelieving man was found guilty of treason and sentenced to death. Hearing about this, Peter Miller set out on foot to intercede for that man's life before George Washington. He, he walked some 60 miles in order to plead with General Washington that the general should pardon this man. My friend said General Washington, I do not feel I should pardon your friend. 
To which Peter Miller responded, My friend? He is not my friend, answered Miller. In fact, he's my worst enemy. To which George Washington said, What? You have walked 60 miles to save the life of your enemy? Mr. Washington goes on to say, That, in my judgment, puts the matter in a different light. I will grant your request, and with pardon in hand, Peter Miller quickly went to the place where his neighbor was about to be executed. Upon his arrival, the prisoner was walking up the scaffolding. And when he saw Mr. Miller, he exclaimed, Oh, Peter Miller, you have come to get your revenge by watching me hang. But he was astonished as he watched the minister step out of the crowd and produce the pardon which would spare his life. Now Miller's act was an unbelievable act, but it's only a shadow of what God has done for us through His Son. Because in the work of Christ, our pardon was not only obtained, but He died in order to accomplish it. That's amazing love. That one would give his life. And when you read Romans 5, the natural man is described with terms like wicked, ungodly, sinful. And to think that God so loved a people that He would send His only Son to die for them, that's amazing love. And such love ought to flood the heart of the believer. And John goes on to write that the effect of God's love for us ought to be so manifested in our lives that he writes these words, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. If God would so love us, how we ought to love others. It's one thing to speak about love. It's another thing to act in light of that love. Moses, 
in our passage this morning is encouraging the children of Israel to show their love for one another. Now, now all of this, when we come to chapter 2, the first eight verses, these things are still under the heading of the sixth commandment. That thou shalt not murder. And Moses, in these first eight verses of Deuteronomy 22, is stating various case laws that should be acted upon by the people of God, demonstrating to others that they've been so loved and redeemed by God, they want to show that love to others. And so, if you read through these first eight verses, you will find some interesting elements. He, he, he begins these verses by talking about a man who may lose his ox, his donkey, and his garments. And then secondly, he moves into the area of a man should not wear women's clothing and a woman shouldn't wear men's clothing. And then he moves on to speak about a mother bird setting on a nest. And then finally, he talks about building a rail around your rooftop so nobody falls off. How's that for a topic for Sunday morning message? And what, are, what in the world are we to glean from all this? And how is any of that relevant to you and I living in 2022? Well, what I say to you that what Moses is now telling the folks Telling the people of Israel is this. When you go into that promised land, you need to demonstrate that you are a people who have been truly loved by God and that love is demonstrated in how you respond to certain events and certain situations. Your lives should demonstrate that you are a distinct people in the fact that God has set His love upon you. And that love has now caused you to respond in such a way that others may know there's something different about these individuals. So let's take, we're going to take all four of them. I, I won't settle on any of them, hopefully very long, so that we can get through all four of them. The last time I had a four-point message, we ended up with four sermons, but I don't think that's going to happen this time. But I want you to notice these four things. The first point is the first four verses, and I've simply entitled it, Giving Attention. Giving Attention. Follow as I read the first four verses of Deuteronomy 22. You shall not see your countryman's ox or his sheep straying away and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly bring them back to your countrymen. 
If your countryman is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it home to your house, and you shall remain, and, and it shall remain with you until your countryman looks for it. Then you shall restore it to him. Thus you shall do with this donkey, and you shall do the same with his garment, and you shall do likewise with anything lost by your countrymen which he has lost and you have found. You are not, to, you are not allowed to neglect them. You shall not see your countryman's donkey or his ox fallen down on the way, and pay no attention to them, you shall certainly help him to raise them up. So what do we have here? Well, Moses is saying to the people of God, you're not to live in isolation. But they were to give attention to their neighbors, to others' needs. At first glance, we may think, this has very little to do with us. After all, which one of you owns a donkey? Uh, which one of you owns an ox? Now, the pickings might be as close as we come, but, but most of us don't have that. Who has sheep in their backyard? So what does that have to do with us? Moses isn't just speaking. Listen, here's the point. Moses just isn't speaking about certain items. He, he's pursuing something greater than just these items. He, he's making it known that love is to be lived out in public. The challenge Moses has given to the children of Israel is that your love is to be expressed in tangible ways to those around you. When, when you're aware of a need and you have the resources and the help for that need, then you want to step forward. Moses is saying, people, we can talk a great deal about love. But the challenge is, how is that love expressed? Loving others was not to be a simple concept. It was to be practically lived out in your life. So for Moses, he says, when you're in the promised land and your neighbor's donkey is, is wandering around and you know it's your neighbor's, you're not, to, you're not to, remember the old saying, I don't know if they still say it or not, we used to, you find something, what'd you do? Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Anybody ever say that anymore? That's what we used to say. I found it too bad for you. No, you're to have a desire to see that the man in need is restored what is rightfully his. I mean, when it comes to these things, sheep, ox, donkeys, these were a matter of livelihood. These weren't pets. These were how men provided for their family. So if you lost them, it was very serious. What was he going to do? 
And Moses saying, in such an incident, you, you ought to practically live out your love by giving attention to those around you and how you can tangibly meet those needs. How can you, in a very practical way, help those who are in need? And he's telling the children of Israel, again, another saying, I don't know if I'm the only one that says it or not, but he's saying, don't turn a blind eye to what others need. You understand that, that saying? If I've got a blind eye, I just can't see it. And so here's somebody in need, and I know I, I could help them, but you know what? It's going to take my time. It's going to take my energy. It's really inconvenient. And to be honest with you, they're not really my type of people. So I'm just not going to pay attention. I'm going to act like I don't see what's going on. And therefore, I'll just walk away and be of no help to them at all. And Moses is saying, that's not how we're to live. If you've been a people redeemed and loved by God, when you were the most unlovely people, how much more you ought to demonstrate God's love for you by helping others that are in need. So very practically. You know, here's a guy who's got to get to work. And his car's not starting. And you're just coming home from work. And you know he's got the need. Your natural reaction may be, you know what, I am tired. I just put in eight hours. I just want to go to bed. So I'm just going to put blinders on and just walk up to my door and go inside instead of saying, how, how can I help this individual? What can I do to help him? And sometimes we know a need is there. It's a real need. And you can't escape that. And we might try to ignore it. This is not my problem. This is too inconvenient. And you purposely turn your eyes away from the need of others. And what Moses is saying is no. Give attention. Give attention. Moses is challenging the people of Israel to respond when they have opportunity to help those in need. And you may say, well... Okay, it's one thing. I mean, if I saw a fellow church member, yeah, I'll I'll try to help them. But what if it's someone who's not real, we're not real friendly with? We're just not compatible. There's just not a unity that exists between us. What about that? 
Well, you know, Moses addresses that too. You know, in Exodus 23 and verse 4, if you meet your enemy, you meet your enemy's ox and his donkey wandering away, you shall return it to him as well. (laughs) You know, sometimes we can be so helpful to those people we just have a, a bond with. We can help those who we might think we would benefit from helping. But how about helping those who are in need that there may be no return for your labor? You need to give attention. And then in verse 5, it's, it's what I'm calling you need to embrace the truth. You need to embrace the truth. Look at verse 5. Interesting verse. A woman shall not wear a man's clothing nor shall a man put on woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. And now, remember, when you read this statement, Moses is giving instructions about how to show love. To others. There are some who think that this verse sounds a bit harsh, unloving. What exactly does Moses mean when he makes this statement? Well, some think that this verse refers to the idolatrous practice of some of the other nations in their worship to their gods. For example, the worship of Venus, when women would appear in armor and men in women's clothing. Such practice and behavior was abominable in the sight of God. But I think there's even a deeper understanding in this verse. And that is, in truly loving our neighbors, we must embrace the truth. The truth of God's Word. Some men read this verse, some women read this verse, and they say what this verse is saying is women ought never to wear trousers. Or men are never to wear pink. And they're stuck on that. And they ride that hobby horse. But what this verse is saying is, here's a truth. There are two genders, male and female. And any distortion of God's truth is an abomination in the sight of God. I did not pick out this verse because of the day in which we live. I looked it up. There was one site that I found that spoke about 
how there are some 71 different genders in our society. Another one speaks about 95 different genders in our society. When at the end of the day, God's Word is clear. God created male and female, and they are distinct from one another, while they're equal to one another with regard to their standing before God. They are distinct from one another. That's why Paul at one time says, act like men. That meant something. There's a way in which a man acts. And you ought to act like a man. And they have different roles in our society. The, the, the man is to be a, a, a loving servant leader. A, a woman is the weaker, submissive gender. Now, can some people run away with that and abuse even that reality? They can. We live in a fallen world. But the truth is, there are only two genders. And there are those who would say to teach such things is unloving. And what this passage says is, in, is unloving. Our society says that the most loving, we are most loving when we simply let everyone practice what they are comfortable with when it comes to their sexuality and their gender. Whatever you feel is good. And we're going to love you in that way by saying we accept that practice. There's a lot of talk in our day about gender identity. There's a lot of confusion and a lot of change with regard to gender identity. What was once an unchallenged conviction to say that God created male and female is now considered hate speech. And only extremists would say that there's only two genders. And churches have become silent with regard to this reality for fear of losing their tax exemption. I say, come and get it. The Bible is clear. And at the end of the day, this statement is a loving statement because it's the truth. And when a society or a culture begins to set aside the truth of God, it will bring great harm to that society and great judgment on that society. And the most loving thing we can do is to proclaim the truth. And even though we understand that such confusion and such delusion in our day 
come from many who've experienced psychological tragedies. And, and they are often individuals who are troubled and suicidal. And we should show compassion to them. That Their hope is found in the gospel. We should proclaim the gospel to them. But we must proclaim the truth. And we must embrace that truth. We cannot abandon the truth of Scripture. It is God who created male and female. And if I could quote my good friend Martin Luther, here we stand, we can do no other. We want, as we have opportunity, to show love to those who are confused. We want to, as we have opportunity, to share the gospel with them. But it is a biological fallacy to say that someone who is born a male is not a male. To go in that direction, regardless of how you feel, is a rebellion towards God and a refusal to acknowledge He is Lord over all. And for us to stay silent, that is hateful. But to proclaim the truth in love and humility, that is genuine love. So he takes one biblical truth and says to them, you hold on to that and do not let it go. So you're to embrace truth. i got to move on. Thirdly, you're to show compassion. You're to show compassion. Verses 6 and 7. If you happen to come upon a bird's nest along the way, in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs, and mother is setting on the young and on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall certainly let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself in order that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days. Well, again, here's an interesting thing. A man comes upon a nest. The nest has eggs in it. And, and the bird sets upon the nest. And the direction that is given is that you're to leave the mother if you take the eggs. It's okay to take the eggs, but it's not okay to take the mother. Why? Why is that? Well... There are perhaps two things that Moses is addressing here. Number one, don't be greedy. And number two, be compassionate. Why is it greedy to take the mother along with the eggs? Well, here's the question. How, how will you eat tomorrow? If you take the mother who's laid the eggs... Who's going to give you eggs tomorrow? Or who's going to give your neighbor eggs tomorrow? 
eating is necessary. But you've got to think about others. And what's going to happen to others if you kill that mother? There, there would be no more eggs. And then what are you going to do? So he's telling them to be a compassionate people. Leave the mother so that she will lay more eggs. Care about others. Be compassionate in not taking the mother. In, in other words, right? So, you know, you're, you're going to leave here and, and you're going to get home this afternoon. And, and we, we had this artificial, this artificial plant planter on our porch and we took it in this week. And my wife says, look, there's a nest in here. And there were eggs in the nest. Well, let's say the mother was... So so now I've been given directions. Okay, I can eat the eggs. I'm not going to. They've been there too long. I can eat the eggs, but don't take the mother. So that's the lesson here. So if you go home and you find... No, here's the lesson. Think about others. Show compassion towards others. And how you can benefit them, even with regard to the future. He said, we can get so caught up in the specifics. I don't want anybody to leave here thinking, okay, uh, tomorrow you know, you're at work. What was, what was your message about yesterday? Well, the pastor said if we found a nest with eggs in it, mother on top of it, take the eggs, not the... That's what he, that's what he, no, here's what I'm teaching you. Be compassionate. Show compassion. What was your message about yesterday? Well, we were taught that men ought not to wear women's clothing and women ought not to wear men's clothing. That's what he, yeah, that's what he talked about. But no, no, what he's talking about is we need to embrace the truth and so forth. Which then leads me to the final one, verse 8. And I didn't know what else to call it except I just called it pursuing protection. Pursuing protection. Verse 8 says this, And when you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, so that you will not bring blood guilt on your house if anyone falls from it. Um, you know what a parapet is? <laughs> it's, it's, a it's a wall. It's, it's, it's a fortress. It's a railing. All right? So here we have a wall. I know I'm like, oh, that's good for our culture today to talk about walls. Do we need walls or don't need walls? Well, Moses is saying, you know, don't, don't take this and say, see, that's why we need to build a wall. I mean, there may be a principle there, but, but here Moses is saying this. You, you, you need, you've got to realize in, in that ancient world, often their houses were, had flat roofs. And they would spend a great deal of time on those roofs in the evening. There would there'd be a breeze. It wasn't that they were going to go down and turn on their air conditioning and sit in front of it. They would go up to the top of the roof and, and have the breeze and enjoy the evening there on top. And Moses is saying, when you do that, again, think about the protection, the, 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 the preservation of life. And, and build a rail around so that people don't fall off. I, I've fallen off roofs before. That hurts. You don't want to do that. And, and so the instruction he's giving them is a rail around the roof will keep them from harm. It's like putting a fence around your pool 
or putting a warning sign up if there's danger in a certain area. Do what you can to prevent harm to come to others. You don't want their blood on your hands. That's what he's telling them. And I know some of you don't like government regulations, but we might say this is the first building code given to people building a new house. You've got to make it, you know, Moses sends out an inspector. You got to, let me see that rail. How high is it? And check it all out. But this is the principle. Do what you can to protect others. So here are the rules. Here are the laws. Man loses his donkey, you find him, you take him to the man. A man shouldn't, wear, man shouldn't wear women's clothing, a woman shouldn't wear men's clothing. Embrace the truth. You've got a mother sitting on a nest. You can take the eggs, but not the mother. Show compassion towards others. You have a flat roof, you're to build a rail around so that you no harm will come to those who are there with you. Those are the laws. These are various laws set down by Moses for the children of Israel when they enter into the promised land. Now, in closing, I want you to consider with me, why should such laws be obeyed? Why should such laws be obeyed? Someone may say, because God is God. He's the authority. You know, sometimes we as parents use that very argument. Children, Pick up your room. Why? Because I said so. And God could have done that. God says, you do this because I'm telling you to do it. But here's a greater motivation. Because God has so loved us, because God is so care. When I was in my greatest need, when, when I came to understand my sinfulness, when I came to understand that, that God rightfully ought to shed His wrath upon me, in my greatest need, God set His love upon me and redeemed me for Himself. And in light of that love, that amazing love that God has for me, I ought to demonstrate that love to others in my behavior and in my obedience to God. Do you ever think about God's amazing love for you in such an overwhelming way that you want to share that love with others in how you behave towards them? That's what Moses is saying. When you're in the promised land, you be a distinct people. And you know why? And he starts here. Because I've redeemed you. Remember before God gave them any of His laws, He reminded them that they were a redeemed people. Look over chapter 5 quickly. Chapter 5. And verse 6. Moses is getting ready to set those ten words before the people. And he says to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. First thing he reminds them of is his redemptive love. I've freed you. I've saved you. I've delivered you. Now, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. 
Thou shalt not make for yourselves any graven image. What's the motivation behind all that and our obedience to it? Well, God said so. No. God loved me. He redeemed me. I want to demonstrate that love in how I treat others. That was Moses' desire for the people. Let me just close. I don't, real, I don't usually read to you any articles that I put in the bulletin. But I, I do want to read the one I've put on the back of your bulletins by J.I. Packer, Knowing God. Because I think what he says is the challenge that Moses is giving all of us this morning. J.I. Packer writes this, God's love is an exercise of His goodness towards individual sinners, whereby, having identified Himself with their welfare, He has given His Son to be their Savior, and now brings them to know and enjoy Him in a covenant relation. Now, here's the challenge. Could an observer learn from the quality and degree of love that I have shown to others, my wife, my husband, my family, my neighbors, people at church, people at work, anything at all about the greatness of God's love for me? When I rub shoulders with others, when I enter into a relationship with my family members, with my neighbors, with my work companions, does my life demonstrate that I've been a man who has experienced God's amazing love? How you treat others... How does it show the love of God to them? There are times we treat others in such a way that they may look, if that's how God acts, I want nothing to do with it. If that's how God shows His love, I want nothing to do with His love. But we ought to shine as lights and demonstrate to others that we've been loved by God when we were so undeserving. And I want to demonstrate that love in how I treat you. Are we so captured by the love of God? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray that, first of all, You would forgive us for not manifesting a love that we ought to at times. Father, we pray that our behavior towards others would show them truly that God is a God of love. And Father, we pray that through that we might have an opportunity to share with them the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. Father, we pray for those who may be among us who know You not. They, they don't have a relationship with You. Well, Father, we pray that they would see that God so loved the world that He gave. And He gave His only Son. 
that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, Father, though many of these things that we have looked at from Deuteronomy, the details don't necessarily apply to us. We don't own ox and sheep. Very few of us take eggs out of a nest to eat. We don't have flat roofs. But, Father, how we pray that we might, by our lives, demonstrate to others Your love. Help us to do that, we pray in Your Son's name. Amen. Well, in closing, take your hymns of grace and turn to number 80. In the hymns of grace, number 80, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Number 80 in the hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing.